0: So you know that feeling of butterflies in your stomach you get whenever you see that special someone? Well, turns out those butterflies are in your brain, specifically the brain in your gut. I'm Anu Kumar. And I'm Madeline MacArthur. And this is the Brain Rules Podcast. So it turns out that there is this network of nerves in your gut called the enteric nervous system, which is nicknamed the second brain. It operates somewhat independently of the brain to regulate the gut's digestive processes, and it also is responsible for that I-feel-it-in-my-gut feeling. Anu, guess how many nerves there are in your gut? Maybe 10,000. Close, but not really. (laughs) There are 100 million neurons in your gut. That's more than in your spinal cord. So the next time you get that butterflies-in-your-stomach kind of feeling... Remember, it's actually your brain's gut who's responsible for that lovey-dovey feeling. Oh man,
1: that is very interesting because I never really thought of the brain having a specific control portion of the gut, so I never really realized that the butterflies in your stomach was actually because of like these different processes controlled by the brain. Yeah, it's actually a whole brain sitting in your stomach. Oh my gosh, (laughs) that is, that's so weird to like think you have a second brain sitting in your stomach. And to think that they have more neurons than the spinal cord, that yeah. that is pretty insane. So in case you haven't noticed, we are doing this episode on everyone's favorite topic, love. Um, Or maybe everyone's least favorite topic, depending on how you look at it. We just opened up with how butterflies in your stomach is actually caused by a second brain in your stomach, which is really awesome and also weird at the same time. Um, So now I want to definitely dive into something that I think a lot of people in uh, child psychology, as well as just like... um, social psychology have heard about, which is Sternberg's theory of love, and this kind of goes into the different stages or types of love between two different partners. Um, so just listing these off, the different types of love uh, based on Sternberg's theory of love are liking, infatuation, fatuous love, empty love, romantic love, companionate love, and consummate love. So the difference between all of these is based on three really important aspects of a relationship, which is intimacy, passion, and commitment. So in some relationships, you might have one and not the other two or two and not uh, the lone aspect. And then consummate love is when you have all three of them living in harmony within the relationship. So we'll just go down the list and see what all these types of relationships look like. So in a liking relationship, you have intimacy with someone, but no passion or commitment. So you enjoy getting to know them, you might enjoy uh, spending a little bit of time with them but not really holding down any sort of commitment and you don't have a lot invested in them. All right? so maybe some crushes like passing crushes could be filed underneath liking. Uh, and infatuation is, uh, this is the closest thing that I think resembles the love at first sight scenario. It refers to whenever you have an immediate intense physical attraction to someone and this feeling is pretty short-lived. And a uh, fatuous love is a combination of infatuation and commitment. So there's not a lot of deep conversation going on at this stage. So both pe- people may focus more on the immediate attraction um, than who their partner is as a person. So it sounds very superficial whenever you describe it like that. Um, An empty love, this love is more of like a working relationship kind of love rather than focusing on passion or intimacy. So for instance, partners might stay together strictly for things like financial stability or just until the kids grow up or for religious reasons or because they just don't see any other option possible. And then there's romantic love, where intimacy and passion are very relevant, but there's no commitment. So these can range from one night stands and casual dating to a somewhat steady relationship, that didn't really have plans to stay together in the future and then companionate love this uh, involves intimacy and commitment so you're super close but maybe not like the conventional couple so there's probably not a physical attraction there Um, and this can result in two outcomes either a Mutual acceptance of this kind of love or a mutual regret in wishing that things were different. And then consummate love, this is like the holy grail of love. This is what everyone, or at least most people, really want their relationship to be like. So they have intimacy, passion, and commitment. Where the spark hasn't died, but you can still talk to someone that you care about, your partner, on very deep topics and still know them on a very personal level. Another thing that um, we wanted to talk about were... Uh, love languages. So love languages um, are another way for people to express their, I guess, like attachment and love to someone else like their partner. Um, So there are five different types of love languages. um, And I'll just go ahead and list them off. They are words of affirmation, acts of service, receiving gifts, quality time, and physical touch. And we're just going to talk about each of those really briefly in a second. So words of affirmation, those are simple things such as saying, I love you. Saying I love you is uh, very important to these people who have words of affirmation as their love language. Uh, They really rely on um, communication uh, more than the others, I feel. And then acts of service, these individuals appreciate... Um, or view doing and receiving favors as the act of love. So, for instance, taking out the trash, walking the dog, etc. And receiving gifts, it is just what it sounds like. These individuals are pretty gift-oriented, so these aren't exactly things like taking out the trash or walking the dog, but it could be like maybe getting them a morning coffee or getting them roses on Valentine's Day and then quality time that is just merely the the aspect of spending time together it doesn't really mean that you have to get them anything or that you have to be constantly communicating and talking during this but simply the act of being together is what uh, people with the quality time love language prefer and then physical touch this can range anywhere from just simple like holding hands hugging or other things um, that people with the physical touch (laughs) love language prefer to show that they are loved and that they love you. Just because we thought it was just really funny we wanted to share with you guys what our love languages were so mine was actually a tie between affirmative words and physical touch so I show love and support by encouraging people in my life verbally and by also hugging people which uh, sounds like a nightmare if you <laughs> if you don't like being hugged that is kind of bad because some of my friends don't actually do the whole physical touch thing but as a result that's like a psychological barrier for me and my relationships with other people so it's like if I feel like I can hug you without reserve I consider you a close friend so that's like a fair warning to everyone in my life
0: (laughs) I'm a hugger unfortunately I definitely can say that I am not as much of a hugger I don't know why exactly but with my family it's perfectly normal and great I can hug them all day but but with strangers sometimes or with even with friends I find it difficult but I guess that's why like there are so many different love languages and everyone has a particular kind um my love language is actually quality time. Sometimes I find myself being very quiet and I will—I just like to sit with someone that I care about or that I'm really looking forward to spending time with and just being physically around that person and, or even not being around them. I call my siblings a lot because we don't live close to each other. So Mm -hmm. that for me is quality time because they're taking time out of their day to call me and, you know, line up the time zones correctly so that Mm -hmm. we we can spend anywhere from 20 minutes to an hour talking about what's going on in our lives. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that is really cool. This concept of love languages was actually developed by Dr. Gary Chapman in 1995, So it turns out that love languages don't have any actual scientific basis, but rather these love languages are based on what makes a certain person feel good. Say, for example, your love language is receiving gifts. Then, whenever your significant other gives you something, you would have the same response as someone whose love language is physical touch. The simple triggering of love is what is important, and this does have a scientific basis. So now we're going to transition into talking about the hormones that are involved in your brain whenever you experience these feelings of love. I'm sure we've all heard about dopamine and oxytocin before. They are the silly little hormones in your brain that are responsible for all those lovey-dovey feelings that you feel around this time of the year. Basically, when you feel those butterflies in your stomach start flapping up a storm, your brain is releasing high levels of dopamine that trigger the reward center of your brain. A similar experience can be felt when someone consumes substances such as alcohol or cocaine. While dopamine is responsible for triggering the reward system, the neurotransmitter called oxytocin, on the other hand, is the love drug. It is creating deepening feelings of attachment that happen whenever you've been with a partner for some time. It provokes feelings of contentment, calmness, and security, which are associated with mate bonding, according to the Harvard School of Medicine. Another interesting aspect about these neurotransmitters is that love is actually considered a stressor. Yes, love equals stress. I believe that. (laughs) I'm sure we all can, and it kind of affirms these feelings, these stressful feelings we can get around this time of the year. So love is associated with the stress hormone cortisol, which increases with romantic love this increase in cortisol makes our bodies think that there is a crisis happening that we need to deal with. And I'm not talking about the type of crisis where you have to try on five different types of outfits before a date, <laughs> even though I would probably consider that a crisis. That as definitely well. is a crisis. <laughs> um, this stress can manifest itself in a variety of physical and emotional responses, such as the heart racing, sweaty palms, flushed cheeks, and the feelings of passion and anxiety. Now, As your cortisol levels rise, your levels of serotonin, which is another neurotransmitter, is actually depleting. With this depletion of serotonin, you begin to have intrusive, maddening, preoccupying thoughts, hopes, and terrors of early love, which are the obsessive-compulsive behaviors associated with infatuation, which again is according to the Harvard School of Medicine. And this
1: response is uh, is pretty similar to just like a regular stress response too, isn't that? It is. Because cor- cortisol is the main uh, stress hormone in the body. So that gets released whenever you're experiencing just regular stress uh, of mm-hmm. like maybe studying for a test or um, maybe dealing with a family member that you may not be very close with, but mm-hmm. you still have that being released whenever you're thinking about all of these things related
0: to love. It's even related to that fight or flight type of reaction we have to things so it's it's amazing how this wonderful thing we think about love is actually in our brain connected to these very basic human instincts Mm -hmm. that we don't that we wouldn't normally think would be associated with um love and fight or flight like do I need to flee for my life or I'm in love with this amazing person right uh it is pretty crazy how those two are
1: related um But yeah, so we also want to go ahead and dive right into uh, John Lee's six different types of love. So this is a little bit different from Sternberg's type of love because this, um, sorry, Sternberg's theory of love because John Lee um, put these six different uh, descriptions into to describe uh, how individuals love other people. Um, So this is more relating into individuals, how they perceive love rather than. Um, couples and uh, partners and how that additive kind of relationship uh, can, be ca- uh, can be categorized. So um, this was around 1973. Uh, John Lee described six different ways that people can perceive and interact with love. And so um, those are agape, ludus, storge, eros, pragma, and mania. So we'll describe those in just a second. So agape um, is the first category. So this is uh, the most selfless kind of love and these type of people like to give more than they like to receive so this isn't just limited to romantic love either um, as this is the kind of love that is most commonly exhibited by parents so this kind of love is hallmarked by traits such as being patient and faithful and the willingness to make sacrifices and ludus the second kind is more of a playful way of looking at love with no real commitment. Uh, So you can simply hang out with somebody and have fun, but it is more short-term fun, um, and it's more likely how they're going to view relationships rather than trying to settle down and make a long-term sort of commitment. So this is a really... Um, this is kind of like adds into a sort of like hookup culture that I know a lot of people like to cite whenever they're growing up or even just like nowadays, that it's really easy to, um, you know, get on online dating services, maybe just like even Tinder. And it's just really easy to just like look for something that's not very long term. So, uh, people who kind of, uh, resonate with this sort of, um, I guess you could say like type of love, um, is considered ludus. So the third kind is storage. So this is actually based on a friendship turned love. Um, and this this really has like it starts with uh, two uh, with someone having friendship like intentions. And then over a long period of time, you have feelings develop. Um, so again, this is a kind of love that happens over a long period of time. And you're more you're also more likely to stay friends after a breakup um, with another individual if this kind of love is exhibited. So these are the kind of people to um, not, not really have really intense crushes. Um, these are more of like the um, going at it really slow, taking relationships really slowly. Um, but that also might be a good thing because if you're able to have positive interactions with people after you break up, um, sometimes it makes life a little bit less awkward or more awkward depending on, uh, your situation. Um, so the next one is Eros. And then this style is, uh, when the individual feels completely consumed by love. And the most important aspects to this person are physical chemistry and emotional closeness, not exactly long-term commitment. So, Being very focused on the present moment right here, right now, with their partner is extremely, extremely important to them. So like I said, long-term commitment may not necessarily be a hallmark trait, but that doesn't mean it won't develop later on. Um, But it's not always a guarantee. Pragma. this. I look at this as more of like a business partnership than an actual relationship, honestly. This is more about the practicality of a relationship rather than the aspects of intimacy and passion. This is whenever someone views a relationship as kind of like, okay, this logistically will be perfect because we come from the same social class or the same culture or we are part of the same religion or our personalities are compatible Um, or we have the same goals or we work in the same career and we have the same aspirations as each other. So like I said, pragma is more concerned with the logistics of the relationship rather than anything else so that doesn't really include like intimacy or passion it's just do we on paper look like we could go well together so it's almost like choosing a college rather instead of like choosing someone to be your partner you're trying to see okay do they have my degree program yes is it close to home or far enough away from home yes and it's like all right let's let's
0: do this um so you could basically have an interview program just to find your partner yeah, basically, <laughs> you could pretty much
1: interview for your partner if you had the pragma mindset. Um, so the last one uh, is mania. So like mental illnesses such as bipolar disorder, mania refers to bouts of intense emotion, either positive or negative. And a mania style um, of love can involve highly emotional responses no matter what's happening. So getting easily angered, showing possessive tendencies, or showing long periods of aloofness can be characterized as mania style love. But I also want to add a disclaimer here. So like, just because you have bouts of these intense emotions doesn't necessarily mean you're bipolar or that your love style is mania. So there are obviously going to be some fluctuations in emotion, Um, in everybody, because that's just how life works, that's just how your brain works. But these are descriptions, um, these descriptions are accurate
0: if these behaviors are consistent over a long period of time. So does someone fit into one of these love, I guess, types for their entire life, or is it kind of with the love languages you can kind of have multiple ones, or are you more just focused on you have this one
1: um, you can start off with one. So you can have one that you're more um, naturally attuned to. Mm-hmm. But I definitely, as you you go throughout life and you have all these different experiences, you can definitely change that. Because I know for me, like whenever I was younger, I used to just like hate hugs. Like, but, <laughs> but um, my family is a very hugging family. And so I, I guess like I learned... Um, As like I grew up that just like hugging in my family just means that, you know, I love you. That's just like another way that they say I love you. So even though I think I've always been kind of like an affirmative words type person, I think I started to develop the whole physical touch thing whenever I was older, when I was just like, oh, let me hug you and show support. Instead of just like telling you I support you, I will say that and now just like hug somebody. Uh So I think that's the same. I feel like that's the same thing with um, these love types. Um, because you can definitely have bouts wherever you're just like, okay, I'm just dating this person because I'm not looking for anything right now. I'm not looking right. to settle down or anything like that. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean you have to like hold on to that for your entire right. life. I definitely think there's stages in people's life where they go for, okay, I am going to be as selfless as possible, and I want to give this person that um, who I'm dating or like who I'm with, uh, everything. And like if they get their heart broken or something, then they might just be like, okay, maybe I'll be a little bit less selfless. Maybe I'll be a little bit less emotionally involved in my next relationship. Um, So it could definitely change through experience, um, but definitely don't feel that just because uh, one description fits who you are right now, it doesn't mean that it can't change for
0: better or for worse. So you won't be pigeonholed to just one type of how you love one way of how you love people but it can change Mm -hmm. because i feel like i feel like mania relates more to i guess younger people and how they love and it just there's a lot of passion and it's just a lot of very fierce emotions like you said positive or negative Mm -hmm. hopefully mostly positive yeah and uh but then if you're betrayed or hurt in some way then the negative feelings jump out really quickly and possibly as you grow older you change and start to develop different ways of love because I I'm I'm sure we've all heard from people who are older like that honeymoon phase like it slowly fades and like a relationship becomes more about working together Mm -hmm. and so that's that's why I was curious about seeing if you're the type of love you, like, experience with, uh, towards others could change. Mm-hmm,
1: definitely. And even, like you said, with, um, with just, like, everything being more emotionally intense when we're younger, that also has to deal with just, like, the insane amount of hormones that are, like, raging
0: through the brain yes, at that time. Yes, the hormones. <laughs> Back to the hormones.
1: <laughs> everything, everything really just, like, gets down to the hormones. You know, it's just, um, you get whenever you're younger, at least, like, through that great, wonderful period of life when you're going through just adolescence, uh, everyone's favorite stage of life, (laughs) that, um, you know, for any sort of response, um, or, like, any sort of situation, your brain is going to respond almost too dramatically, um, to anything, so it's, like, you're more likely to get stressed out whenever you're younger, um, or you're more likely going to like take personal offense to like anything when you're younger, and that's just that's just like um, the brain doing its normal thing. It's developing and it's growing, and um, it's not really going to stop until it's like fully mm-hmm. done. Um, but whenever you get older, that slows down and cools down. Um, thank God, because can you imagine like still being like how you were as oh, an adolescent? No, I can't.
0: <laughs> so your brain is basically like a drama queen when you're younger, basically. learning how to handle everything, but. Yeah slowly it evens out yeah it learns how to handle these stressors
1: yeah and of course like especially since your brain while it's so young um like when you're going through like middle school and high school you know it doesn't know that um you know there are worse things out there or it doesn't know that things could get better because right now in that moment that's all you've experienced so if, if someone if you go through um a breakup no matter how like casual or terrible it was you know that's your only experience and at that time it's just like this is the end of the world because that means a lot to you at that time um because i know like we i i know i always joke about just like yeah i was i was terrible as an adolescent uh just and i blame my brain for that um but that doesn't make anything that you experience any less real our perceptions definitely warped um, in different ways just because our brains respond in such a different way than whenever we're much older but that doesn't necessarily negate what you're feeling and I feel like that part of the conversation gets left out and a lot of the times whenever everyone's talking about the psychology about love mm-hmm. because even yes we definitely know that you know younger people can, are more susceptible to be more dramatic or react in dramatic ways. That doesn't mean it's not always just, like, not justified. All right, so that concludes this episode of the Brain Rules podcast. If you like what you heard, please share this episode with a friend. And if you haven't already, subscribe to the Daily Beacon podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, or your stock podcast app. And be sure to check back for episodes every other week. We hope you've learned something new today, and we'll see you next time.